0: Hello, and welcome to the Seattle Coffee Gear Podcast. I'm your host, Pat, and joining me this episode is Ariel. How's it going, Ariel? It's
1: going all right. How are you today, Pat?
0: I'm doing pretty well. Um, it's uh, th- the, the day that we're recording this is a Wednesday, and it feels like a Wednesday kind of Wednesday. So
1: <laughs> It's my <laughs> I'm, Friday I'm, today.
0: Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm jealous. <laughs> uh, I did take Monday off this week, so I'm a little... Nice. I, I, it's, at least it's a short week. Um, so today we're going to be talking about what is, uh, probably the most important part of coffee, which is the beans themselves and, um, some stuff around, um, like tasting notes and roasting and processes and origins, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so even if you're familiar with some of that stuff, hopefully you learn something. It's going to be a fun one. But before we jump into that, is there anything that you have been, uh, any gear or coffee that you've been checking out recently that you've been enjoying?
1: Yeah, um, I've been on a Vietnamese coffee kick lately, so I, I kind okay. of broke away from you know, um, my, my rocket Giotto for a bit. And I actually have a Vietnamese um, fin filter that I got from Win Coffee Supply, they are they're like a roaster/slash coffee supply company out of uh Brooklyn, New York. Um, so they actually have their own Very coffee cool. farm in Vietnam. Um, so I've also been drinking their coffee. They have a limited edition mocha that's really good.
0: Very cool. I don't know that much about admittedly. I've had Vietnamese coffee before, but I don't really know that much about like um like fin coffee, but um it looks really cool. It looks like something that uh if you have not seen one of these before, you should definitely give it a quick Google because it's like a it looks like a kind of an immersion brewing style like
1: Kind of. How does so it work? So it's, you've got like a little tray that kind of rests on top of a cup. And in the in the cup, you've uh-huh. got um, sweetened condensed milk. And the fin filter right, itself, yeah. there's little, little holes in it. So you basically, you grind it pretty fine. I grind it at about like a 10 or 11 on my Encore. Um, and mm-hmm. I do 10 grams for four ounces. And so it's a finer grind. So you fill it and you let it bloom. And then you fill it all the way to the top. And it kind of, you know, infuses and um, it slowly drips through to the bottom. Cool. Uh, so it takes about four minutes, I would say, for for four ounces to to brew.
0: Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that looks really cool. I, I really enjoy. I'm sure that I've had coffee through one of these filters before because I've had Vietnamese coffee at coffee shops and restaurants. So, um, yeah, looks it's it's very tasty and I recommend anybody to check it out i have been I have to be uh, i've I've been using a secret thing by the time this episode comes out. It may be <laughs> something you can buy yourself, but there's a, a super auto that I've been messing with this week that is uh very cool and I'm very excited about so um i'm I'm not like I usually prefer pour over coffee at super autos, but uh this week I've been playing with that one and it's been, it's been, it's been very been a
1: mysterious over here.
0: yeah yeah uh like i said it's probably going to be obvious what i'm talking about (laughs) when people actually hear this but uh just in case it comes out before then and i can't spoil it then i won't so um with that let's jump into this topic of beans a little bit here is there is there a particular reason why um this was one that you were interested in People, this is kind of a leading question because if people watch our YouTube channel, they'll probably know already, but I'm still, I, I still want to ask. Uh,
1: well, I used to be um, a barista before this. Um, and I, I actually worked at the Starbucks mm-hmm. Reserve Roastery in Cap Hill in Seattle. And that was really the first place that I started tasting single origin beans. So up until that point, it was all just kind of espresso blends and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind mm-hmm. of near and dear to my heart because. Um, you know, tasting something that's a single origin. they're they're vastly different from a blend, um, because they're roasted differently and because they're also, you know, it's it's just really interesting because that's where you notice like the most dramatic tasting notes, um, particularly with like a sun-dried coffee like or a naturally processed coffee because they're so fruity. So that's why I, I kind of wanted to jump jump onto this one.
0: Cool. Yeah, well, we'll get into specifics about those things. The first thing, though, in case people are listening, you know, one of our goals with the show is to engage people who are maybe not already coffee enthusiasts or just getting started. And so the first thing I want to hit on that has been a theme through a couple of episodes, but just to reiterate it again, is why we choose whole bean coffee rather than pre-ground coffee and why we want to you why why what you should be doing is getting a grinder and getting whole bean coffee and grinding it yourself at home. Um do you have a a a way that you put that to people to make it easy for them to understand? We've heard a few different takes on it, but
1: Yeah, um I the way I put it is, you know, basically when a coffee is pre-ground, there's, you know, all this surface area that's open to oxygen. So, you know, once that oxygen hits the pre-ground coffee it deteriorates more rapidly um, than a whole bean coffee so whole bean because it's whole there's less surface area exposed to that oxygen so they don't deteriorate as quickly um so it preserves the freshness a bit longer
0: makes sense yeah and um you know we talked I talked a little bit about it with with Jake when we talked about extraction but that process starts like right after you you grind it so that's why it's important to try to grind it as freshly as possible. Um, so, yeah. So with that reiterated, again, if you're curious about more of those kinds of chemical reasonings behind certain best, best practices that we have for coffee, um, definitely check out that uh, episode with Jake, um, which is the extraction episode of, of the show. But let's get into the beans in particular. So you'll find uh, blends that could be something like tony Sugarbee blend which you might not it might not be clear from that name what that it's a blend if you're new to coffee versus something like a a a, a coffee that has a country name on it or like some or a name in another language that you might not understand so those the, the differentiator there is that we're talking about blends versus single origins correct
1: mm-hmm. yes Um, I mean, I like to, in terms of like blends and single origins, I, sometimes I like to explain it in terms of like perfumery because you have like the single origins, which are kind of like the essential oils that you blend together to create a perfume. So you're basically, you're trying to coax out the, the best tasting notes. So it's like a nice cohesive blend that will shine through milk, particularly with like espresso. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, it tends to – we tend to find that in um, – the blends tend to be easier to dial in for newer users for espresso, and um, they're usually better in super autos than a single origin, whereas a single origin is uh, a coffee that is coming from – the green coffee that was used – that was roasted for the, the roast – coming from one producer generally or like a small set of farms that are in a tight locality if it's not a single farm. So you're getting very similar soil composition and elevation and all of the things that go into the flavor profile of a coffee before it gets to the roaster. Well, not all the things because it's processing too, but before it hits the processor anyway – so that's why sometimes single origins will have a like sharper flavor because it's one specific bean. Um the like the, the beans are all are pretty are more uniform. Um and the when we talk about origins to pause two, we're basically talking about again producers and regions, correct?
1: hmm Yep. So there's um there's the the coffee belt. So those are like – that's like the major region around basically like the globe yeah. where they grow coffee. Um, and it's all – I want to say it's really close to the equator.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
1: um. Yeah, I mean they tend to be like warmer weather right. areas. because you, you
0: need a certain climate yeah. for coffee and there's an interesting – I'm still learning about a lot of this, so please correct me if I'm wrong because it's possible that I'll misspeak. But you – need such a particular climate because partly because you want coffee that's grown at a certain elevation and it needs to be a certain temperature at Mm -hmm. that elevation and it needs to the soil composition is super important also uh so there's just not if you like if we just wouldn't have a good time growing coffee in like washington
1: (laughs) um no i mean i actually have like three coffee trees uh that I've been babying yeah. for the past three years. Um, you know, and I mean, they're doing well, but they're not, I mean, they're not going to produce really any, like any yeah. amount of coffee, you, you, you know? You might be able yeah. to
0: produce enough in, in your home to like, roast enough to have like a pour over of your own coffee that you grew but when we're talking about the kind of the the levels at which coffee is produced i mean it's a it's it's a Mm
1: -hmm.
0: i don't have the numbers in front of me but a lot of coffee is produced and consumed every year it needs to be in places where you can grow it in large quantities uh Mm -hmm. with without with good yields to make it worth it
1: yeah well and another thing um of note is that, you know, they're, they're grown at those elevations too, because the cherries will actually ripen slower. Mm-hmm. So you, you have more time for those flavors and the natural sugars to develop. Um, you know, because I, we're talking about like Arabica coffee, um, that's grown at those elevations. Cause there's also Robusta, mm-hmm. um, which, I mean, those produce like a much higher yield, but because they, they ripen so quickly, they, they have, I, I want to say about sixty percent less sugar and fat in them than arabica coffees right. do, but you know they also tend to be a little bit more hearty and easier.
0: <laughs> yeah, to exactly. Grow. And and really, uh, my understanding is they're for, for the longest for for a long time that was sort of the more popular kind of coffee, not because I mean not because it's better, because obviously with arabica you're getting um, a more developed flavor. But, but more because it is so hardy and it's so easy to grow robusta plants. By comparison, that uh, mm-hmm. especially in like uh, Asian countries, for example, where a lot of coffee that's consumed still is instant coffee, you see a lot mm-hmm. of uh, of, the, of that kind of coffee grown in like Southeast Asia and stuff because because that's it's easy to export that to um, to nearby places for instant coffee and sometimes for blends too. I know that for a long time, even like the equivalent of what we would call specialty roasters now prior to third wave roasting might blend uh like 30 percent arabica 70 percent robusta kind of kind of thing to, mm-hmm. to, to to make it more affordable
1: yeah that and it has um it has more caffeine too. right so. yeah yeah <laughs> you'll definitely get more of a pick me up from from a robusta yeah you
0: will totally from, which is also part of why it's so arabica. popular in instant coffee because it's usually seen as more of a like You're not drinking it to enjoy it. You're drinking it to to get your caffeine fill. Mm
1: -hmm, Um, Exactly.
0: So we tend to have, like you were saying, you have that kind of belt of coffee growing places, which means that, you know, we have origins like countries in Africa, like uh, Ethiopia Mm -hmm. and Kenya. And then there are uh, South American countries um, like Brazil that are very – and Colombia that are very popular for coffee growing – and then also countries in Southeast Asia, um, like Indonesia. Uh, and I want to say there's a – I think we recently got like a Thai coffee in, which is less mm-hmm. – Um, m- my understanding with Thai coffee, I was trying to research. Some of this stuff is very hard to research too because unless you're in <laughs> uh, industry circles, like unless you're in a purchasing position, there's not a lot of mm-hmm. like front-facing information about – uh the history of some of this stuff but my understanding is in thailand really there was really a focus on robusta coffee growing there and arabica Mm
1: -hmm.
0: beans have only kind of uh plants have only kind of um taken hold in the last several years or last couple decades probably is more like it so we're starting to see more coffees from origins like thailand as well um cool um
1: what what roaster was that i don't remember off
0: the top of my head um I want to say I'm all excited now <laughs> yeah i want to say i'll i'll have to i'll i'll, I'll give you the, the all the info on it i want to make sure that i don't uh, misspeak <laughs> who it was because <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to implicate uh i don't want to i don't want to credit anyone who who uh who didn't actually roast it but uh it was good that, that much is true um cool the the thing that i don't understand like at all aside from a very basic I understand that varietals are like the different species of coffee plants, but one uh-huh. place that I I'm sure you could educate me on is like what is the why is that something that we even care about when it comes to like the the consumer end the I'm going to I mean obviously if it's different species there's different um elements to you know how easy they are to grow and where they can grow and flavor profiles but when you look at a bag of specialty coffee you'll see like pink bourbon on it i've never really understood mm-hmm. why that matters to the end user
1: well i mean if you Let's take a moment to kind of compare. So you know, you've got your arabica and then the varietals, right? If you if you think about it, kind of in terms of wine, the varietal of coffee is kind of like the grapes. So you've got like your cabernet grapes, you've got your merlot, uh, sauvignon yeah. blanc, merlot, uh, syrah. You like know, huge,
0: I'm learning so, about wine now too, so I don't have <laughs> yeah. all the
1: so. You know, those are also going to have their own very, like, distinctive flavors. So, like, a Syrah is going to taste very different from a Merlot. So, that's – if you think of it in terms of that and apply it to, like, a coffee varietal, it, it'll make more sense. So, like, uh, a you know, you've got your Bourbon. Um, you've got red and orange and mm-hmm. pink. Um, and those are all going to be pretty well balanced, but they're going to have different tasting notes. And then you've got, like, your Pacamara coffees. um, you know, so those are also going to be very different. So, like, for one, you'll have, like, oh, red red fruit notes. And then for another one, you'll have, like, an apple tasting note. So you can kind of filter down the tasting notes based gotcha. on the varietal that you're cool. going to have. Cool. Okay.
0: So that's a good and, – and that's kind of – I usually associate those things with origins, but it's probably more the varietal in combination with,
1: mm-hmm.
0: like, elevation and origin that really – yeah sort of is the triangle there um so
1: exactly
0: when we talk about tasting notes i think one thing that confuses a lot of people who are kind of new to coffee is we get a lot of questions that are like oh this says that it has like i'm looking at a coffee on my desk right now that has a grapefruit note and people ask like oh well does it have grapefruit in it and Mm -hmm. that's never the case with anything we sell at seattle coffee gear i mean like coffees exist that have flavors added but not really with us
1: yeah that's not really it's not something that we carry but those you know those tasting notes again that has to do with the origin the varietal um so you'll have a lot of you know like african coffees ethiopian coffees specifically will have more berry tasting notes sometimes they'll be floral um, and then from coffees in Kenya, commonly will have tasting notes of either grapefruit. A lot of the time they'll have like tomato-y tasting notes. Um, and then coffees from Latin America will have, you know, your your nutty, chocolatey, but also like citrusy tasting notes. Um, and it's it, it is dependent on, you know, again, the varietal and also where they are grown.
0: Yeah. And I've always found, I know for me, I don't love... Co- the tasty notes present usually in like Colombian and um, Brazilian coffee. I like some of the notes that you tend to find in more Central American and like, like coffees from Mexico. I actually really like for some reason, though, oh God,
1: so um, good. <laughs> I'm not
0: super into Colombian and Brazilian coffee, which for a long time made me think that I just didn't like coffee because You know, Colombian coffee Mm -hmm. is so ubiquitous. And to be clear, I mean, it's for good reason. It's high quality coffee that you're getting from those places. It's just a taste thing is all that I'm talking about. nothing against them. Um,
1: Exactly. Coffee is just it's a very personal Um, thing.
0: And so my recommendation for people, you know, if you if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already like coffee. But if you know people who (laughs) don't like coffee, I would say. Have them try more stuff because it really is a very wide range of flavor profiles. What I tend to find is at this point I can drink any coffee and get something and out of it be able to to like it as long as it's decent but um i when I really want to enjoy a coffee, I go for like a really light floral roast that is almost like tea basically um and yeah. um I think if you haven't you may not even know that those flavor profiles exist if you've only had coffee from specific places.
1: Yeah, it's uh it's it's definitely interesting because it's you certainly fall down um a rabbit hole. You know, there are people who are like, I just want my coffee to taste like coffee, which is great. You know, sometimes I I kind of crave that too. Um and then but at the same time if you're kind of more open and adventurous, it's like I did not know coffee could taste totally. like yeah.
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and it's so talked a lot about like the origins themselves and um and and things that affect the flavor of the coffee while it's growing basically but one of the biggest things that that can change the whole profile of coffee is process right yep so there's that's something that if you've looked at a bag of coffee and you see that it says like washed or natural or honey those are referring to the different processing methods that are used after the coffee's harvested to get it ready for roasting basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you know natural or sun-dried coffees that's kind of the the oldest processing method. Um, so you know for those of you who are kind of new to that that means that once the the coffee cherries are, picked, they're, they're sorted so that, you know, they don't have anything like defective and they're clean. So you don't have any twigs or anything like that. And they leave the coffee cherry whole and they lay them out on these massive drying beds and they rake the fruit to prevent it from molding until the coffee actually, you know, the, the fruit dries and then they remove the husk um, and what happens is the bean absorbs all of those natural sugars and the fruit flavor from the actual fruit of the coffee cherry. Um, and the the cool thing about that is it uses the least amount of water. And there's also a pretty delicious kind of byproduct called cascara that you can make tea out of. And It's really, really good.
0: Yeah. And I think there's like this weird arc that people... It's not weird. It's pretty common. This arc that you go on when you're first getting into specialty coffee where you have a natural for the first time and you're like, wow, that's the best. That's <laughs> like – that's why does anyone drink coffee any other way? And then you sort of mm-hmm. come back down to earth a little bit over time and it's sort of more like that's one thing that's good and then also these other things are good. So the contrast yeah. then to to natural coffee and what I think is the most common processing for sort of mass market coffee – would be, at this point, would be a washed process.
1: Yeah, I would say so. And with the washed process, you know, you can have the exact same coffee. One will be naturally processed and one will be washed, and they will taste completely different. Um, So it's almost kind of like with a washed coffee, it's a more refined flavor, so it will kind of coax out the more floral notes, um, particularly with African coffees.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, sometimes if you keep if you keep an eye out, some roasters. I want to say that uh, Olympia does this sometimes. Can't remember if I've seen a camber like this, but some roasters will actually get coffees that are from the same producer but are processed both ways, so that you can mm-hmm. really get a like kind of overview of what the different kind of processing can do to the flavor of the coffee. Uh, which is really cool when that happens uh and and I highly recommend checking out if you see, if you happen to notice that,
1: yeah I think counterculture has yes done that I think you're right, before I think you're right. Too. Yeah.
0: yeah um so then we've also got the various honey processes, which are a little harder to put your finger on, I guess,
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean with those it's it's kind of like an in between a washed coffee yeah. and a sun-dried coffee. So they kind of like remove some of it and leave like the mucilage on. Um so the coffee is actually still, you know, being moved around and then it becomes sticky and then you have different phases. So there's like um yellow honey, pink honey, and then there's also black honey and black honey is kind of the hardest to to produce. It takes the most time and it takes the most labor right um and
0: they're basically like different like you said different degrees of the cherry left on um depending Mm -hmm. on the the level of honey processing and i'll be honest to to my palate i don't notice a huge difference between like a yellow and and a black honey process if I really pay attention, maybe, but unless I'm pretty intensely tasting, I don't, I don't see a, taste a huge difference.
1: Yeah. It's, it's very subtle. I think really, um, it, it's just like a very subtle change in the flavor. Like it'll get a little bit more intense, but it's not too noticeable unless you're like really looking hard for it. Like if that's like your purpose, right, exactly. you know, like if you're at a coffee, if cup you're,
0: Kind if of. it's if it's a hobby thing for you, then it's absolutely worth seeing them. And and if you really, really try, especially if you like cup them rather than just make mm-hmm. a pour over or drip coffee, which kind of drip coffee in particular can kind of balance out some of those flavors, um, then, then you might notice it. But um, it, sometimes it can feel a little bit like you're missing something. If you don't notice it, I wouldn't worry too much if you're just brewing coffee to drink as long as it's something that you like. Yeah.
1: Exactly, who's actually a really cool roaster with that is um brandy wine because they have a lot of the Costa Rica las lajas mm-hmm. uh lots, and so they will actually have like different phases and different yep. lots from that farm and las Lajas is kind of known for doing honey processing. So they're definitely a really good roaster to check out if that's uh, something Absolutely, that you're interested yeah. in. And those
0: are – they're always pretty – like, they're always good, too. That's the thing is you're not necessarily taking yeah. much of a risk because even if you don't taste a huge difference, <laughs> you just have more coffee that's really tasty. Yeah. So, um.
1: Yeah, and one fun thing about Brandywine, I don't know if you've, like, ordered from the, them, like, directly from their website, but sometimes they include little, like, toy dinosaurs. That's really funny. <laughs> that it's <laughs> very on their brand. Coffee.
0: uh they do yeah. they do our holiday roast usually and then we have a roast with them that's like our our standing all year round roast and um the it's really fun to to see updated art from them every year and to, to work with them yeah. on on the design of that stuff cuz they have really really fun uh everything about them is really fun for sure
1: they mm-hmm, they're just great. they did our they did our um portraits too didn't I they i think for that their artists website. did
0: yeah yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh super fun roaster. And kind of on that on the topic of roasters, the last step in the the kind of coffee the last macro step, obviously there's tons of I forget the number um a a producer oh from I was told once how many hands touch every single coffee bean and it's something like mm-hmm. dozens it's dozens and dozens of people touch all touch your coffee before it gets you not in a gross way but in like a it takes it takes a lot of people (laughs) to produce exactly but anyway like the last Mm -hmm. kind of macro step in the process is roasting it and obviously that can also change the flavor a lot depending on how that's done
1: yes exactly so you know I, i think a lot of people tend to you know, when they're first starting out drinking coffee, because this was even something with me was, you know, I'm like, oh, it's it's roasted dark, so it's gonna be strong and it's like, you know, really good coff like really good coffee. But then, you know, the longer you you work in the coffee industry, you you realize that a lot of these larger roasters, I mean I'm sure it's, you know, a good quality coffee, but because the amount that they're roasting is so large, they roast for uniformity of flavor rather than to coax out the best tasting notes. Because they're getting coffee from a lot of different farms. So a dark roast doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be, you know, stronger or better. You're actually when it's that dark, you're tasting like the roastiness rather than the actual coffee. Mm-hmm. So I've gotten like progressively lighter totally. in terms of my roast level preferences, because then you're like, oh, I can actually, you know, taste the tasting notes that they're talking about here. And it's not all like chocolate and smoke.
0: Yeah. And sometimes, you know, from roaster to roaster. It's pretty rare to be honest that we get a specialty coffee roasters dark roast like it's rare there's not a lot of them that we mm-hmm. see usually that's like you're saying more mass market roasters um and, yeah. and 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 you know I'm not here to to say that like Starbucks beans are low quality necessarily but but yeah they're marked they're roasted for a really large yield and lots of people cuz they're they're selling tons and tons of coffee um, mm-hmm. But when you go to specialty roasters, they tend to stay in the medium to light range. With that in mind, there are sometimes coffees that come through. I, this is another thing I had last week, I think, um, is a coffee that the smokiness, the roastiness kind of complemented some of the the flavors that were there in the beans. So you did get mm-hmm. – it was more complex than what I'm used to with a dark roast. But those are pretty few and far between. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I would I would have to agree with you there. Um, like I will say, I I really do enjoy um belly warmer from Methodical. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is technically speaking, it's more of a darker medium roast, but you know, it's it still has a pretty incredible flavor for for the roast profile, and I can't imagine it tasting better if it were roasted lighter. You know,
0: Um, I was actually talking to uh someone just yesterday trying to explain a bit because. I was like, well, what kind of coffee do they like? And they said, well, they like a, a, I want to say they said they like a medium roast. And I was like, okay, well, my mm-hmm. definition of medium roast is pretty wide. Their definition of <laughs> medium roast might be a lot darker if they're used to drinking like grocery store kind of mass marketed coffee. Yeah, um,
1: exactly.
0: So with that in mind, like there's some a roaster like Elm in Seattle. They roast very, very light and even rarely get into medium coffees. And then some roasters like Stumptown comes to mind as a, as a roaster that like stays kind of in that medium ballpark pretty Mm -hmm. aggressively uh, to good results. So it just depends on um, it it can depend on a lot of different factors. Sometimes when I spoke to, to people at Elm, it was more of a question of like, we specifically look for coffee that we can roast light because that's our profile. And then some roasters Mm -hmm. are more, this is a cool coffee. We're going to try roasting it in a couple of different ways and see what sticks and then go with that kind of thing too. It's all down to, to, yeah. to like the technique of the roaster at that point.
1: Exactly. Like um, another one is um, Batdorf and Bronson. You know, their, their roast does tend to be more medium, but it works yep. well for totally. them, you know, um, especially like a lot of their single origins. I really like the, um, oh gosh, what is the Guatemala? Is it the El Volcan?
0: don't remember off have. the top of my head. Um, but that's uh, sounds... so good as espresso. Right. And it, interesting you bring that up because sometimes roasters, too, in their choice of roast level are going for specific flavors that will go well with milk as an espresso, mm-hmm. too. It's hard to... See. Roasting doesn't change what the coffee is, right? So if it's if it's mm-hmm. a coffee bean that's not suited for espresso, it doesn't matter if you roast it in a way that is trying to get it an exactly. espresso flavor
1: because <laughs> it's just not No, no. so you kind of have to let the
0: the bean itself guide the roasting process is what roasters have told me mm-hmm. as someone who has roasted yeah. coffee twice um, and in on a stove. so um, uh, I'm <laughs> certainly no expert there. but what I've been told by professional roasters is you're really kind of doing what the bean wants. Um, it's more about the mm-hmm. sourcing of the bean to get beans that are going to work well as an espresso roast, uh, which does not mean by the way, super dark. That's something that some people think is that an espresso roast yeah. is like akin to a French roast, which is, comes more from Italian style sp- espresso roasting and brewing. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, it's kind of more of an, an old school yeah. thing, you know, cause you, <laughs> they want something that you know it's it's not only like gonna wake you up it's also like a like a slap like in the face when whoa it's 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 funny too because i i was lucky enough to go to florence um a couple years ago and yeah the espresso there is very different yeah
0: totally uh yeah. so if you're shopping if you're like filling a gap and shopping at the grocery store and you're they don't don't espresso roasts mean different things to different roasters for sure um what we're talking about here is roasts that generally complement milk really well and um, Mm -hmm. that might be good with a little bit of like an extra kick of flavor from a syrup or something um which uh it can be a wide range of roast levels there's like light roasted espresso and medium and dark roasted espresso.
1: exactly and sometimes actually a lot of the time you know Um, I really enjoy like a naturally processed espresso, like a sun-dried Ethiopia in a latte with just a little bit of vanilla syrup. And that vanilla syrup just coaxes out like those berry notes so well. Yeah.
0: So it's a really great thing to keep in mind when you're kind of picking your beans for different roasts or different styles. You don't have to stick to, a lot of times roasters will do espresso blends, which that's mm-hmm. sort of what they're talking about is that they think this is going to go well for espresso and a lot of times it's easier to dial in than a single origin. Yeah. But you might find, once you get used to dialing in espresso, uh, you might find that that you can get a really unique shot out of a single origin. Um, and you kind of develop a taste yeah. for that as you taste different coffees and kind of develop your palate. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, You know, one thing I like, telling people is you you can pretty much use anything for espresso because all it really does is espresso will concentrate the flavor of pretty much whatever you you brew um so you know you can pretty the world is your oyster in terms of the coffees that you can use for espresso which is just a really nice thing
0: yep you know and that's why when we talk about coffee on our website like on product pages we usually i write pretty much all that stuff and usually it's uh, will recommend a brew method, but all that stuff is guidelines. As you get used to brewing different kinds of coffees and the different brew methods that you like, you'll start to identify like origins and varietals and tasting notes that are going to work in different brew methods well um, and get used to it. The one thing to note for sure for people who might be using a super auto is you want to stay away from darker roasted coffees in a super auto because mm-hmm. if it's a particularly oily coffee it can gum up your super auto's grinder and that's not fun because there's no way to take it apart and clean it generally so you're kind of just yep. out of luck
1: exactly you definitely want to stick to basically anything that's not shiny and has a dry finish if you're uh if you're roasting with or i'm sorry brewing yeah. with a but nye.
0: the good news <laughs> is sometimes people hear that and they're like well i'm but but i got this i i want to be able to do any whole bean coffee the good news is though that again those that oily roast style is not particularly common among like specialty coffee that i would say is the stuff that you definitely want to try in your super auto so Mm -hmm. yeah Uh,
1: and i mean you know technically speaking too there there's kind of a go around where you can if you desperately want to use like a, a dark coffee you can but you don't put it in the hopper you grind it beforehand and then put it in the bypass yep, doser.
0: Yep, you can pretty safely use the bypass you know. doser for that stuff, but then yep. you do kind of need a espresso grinder because if you grind okay, fair. if you grind <laughs> on a normal brew grinder and put it in the bypass doser, it's going to taste a little funny. You might be able to approximate it though uh, if you go if you go real fine um, because yeah. of the the brew units within Super Autos are different than just a standard Porter filter so uh that mm-hmm. is yeah. a whole nother complicated topic that i <laughs> am sure, I feel like that's
1: a whole other yeah podcast we'll talk about <laughs> <this episode. that'll, laughs>
0: all about super autos. it will definitely be coming soon but um but as it pertains here and then the other thing too that i wanted to touch on that we kind of didn't as we were going through is there's a lot of um it's i think it's an important thing to mention there's a lot of uh labor rights and political stuff around the farming of coffee, just like with a lot of different commodities, um, mm-hmm. programs like fair and direct trade are good to watch out for. Those are certifications that like from organizations that seek to like normalize pricing and make sure that there's fair pricing, which allows roasters to, or uh, roasters allows farmers to kind of, um, Try growing more ambitious stuff rather than just whatever is mm-hmm. going to guarantee the best yield and it protects yeah. them long term so that even if they have a crop that isn't as uh, high yield or isn't the same level of quality as what they've maybe had in the past, they can still get fair pricing for it, etc. Um it's also great to support initiatives that uh, are supporting like women producers in particular and indigenous producers in particular. So keeping an eye out for those things is generally we we try to call that out whenever we are able to sell coffee that way. But checking with your roaster, too, and seeing those coffees is a great way to help improve the sustainability of the industry.
1: Yeah, exactly. One roaster that's really good about transparency um, is... Onyx. Yeah. You know, it's it's a nice thing to go to their website and see that you know, they they show the price that they pay for their per pound for their green coffee. You know, which is you know, such a wonderful thing. Um, you know, especially these days because a lot of coffee farmers they they don't have anyone that wants to succeed them essentially. So, you know their kids don't want to do it because it's too much work and they don't get paid enough. So, to see that it's a really special thing because Um, you know, when you're drinking a cup of coffee, you kind of have to think of it as well, you're literally drinking somebody's like life's work. That is that is their legacy. So they deserve to be paid fairly for it. Yeah.
0: Uh and I think it's important an important note to end on because I would we would be remiss to not touch on those elements. And um, so it's something to like with anything you're consuming. It's a good thing to be aware of where it's coming from and the conditions that it's coming from and to try to support the people that are are doing the work themselves for sure. Yeah. So, I don't know, do you have anything else? Any coffee bean related stuff that you that we didn't hit? You wanted to get out there?
1: Um, you know, I think we've I think we've covered pretty much all our bases, you know, just um my biggest piece of advice is you know, um just try as many different coffees as as you can um and be open-minded about different flavor profiles.
0: Cool. Yeah, I would concur. I would say you know, jump in with both feet. Sometimes people kind of balk at some of the cost of specialty coffee. It's worth it. Think of it as a treat mm-hmm. and, and and try a range of different roasters and flavor profiles. And I think if you're really interested in getting into it, having a good pour over setup means that you're going to be able to kind of any coffee, almost any coffee will work as a pour over and you can get the flavor notes out of it. You might like it more exactly. as everything as, an other, as another brew method. But it's a good baseline to um, to kind of be able to taste a wide range of stuff. Yeah. Cool. Well, I, I agree. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode, Ariel.
1: Thanks for inviting me. That was uh, that was Yes, fun. absolutely.
0: We'll have <laughs> we'll have you back soon too. Everybody will we'll, our rotating chair will will always be rotating. Uh, and thank you so much for joining us, the listener, for this episode of the Seattle Coffee Gear podcast. Uh, if you have any questions you'd like to hear right on the Cop podcast. Please drop us a line to questions at seattlecoffeegear.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to let us know in a review on your podcast platform of choice and let a friend know that you liked it. Get them subscribed. Um, It definitely helps. And for all of your coffee needs, make sure you head over to seattlecoffeegear.com and check out our blog and YouTube channels for more educational and informative content about all things coffee. We will see you next episode.